Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.29 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is the 25th day of January 2024, and this is episode 847 of Bitcoin. And welcome to law. We're going to get into that one. If you uh, if you know, you know, but we're going to get into that one pretty quick. But first, as always, Circle P is open for business. And today it is going to be, who is it? Who we got on the rack today? It's going to be, oh, the Fern Plant Shop, the Inland Northwest's premier gift and plant boutique. That's right. Transform your space into an oasis with Fern Plant Shop. Dive into our world of lush indoor houseplants, modern pots, and unique botanical gifts. Got a plant question? Our friendly experts have the greenest thumbs around. Plus, pick a plant and a pot, and we'll transplant that sucker for free. Visit Fern Plant Shop, where your plant dreams come to life. Find your plant paradise at our boutique in Spokane, Spokane Valley, and Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. That's right, Fern Plant Shop. You can go find them at fernplantshop.com, fernplantshop, all one word, dot com. Honestly, go look at their pictures, man. I mean, whoever it is that's taking the pictures for these people, I, I, I am presuming that at least one, if not two of the people that work at this place is a professional photographer and a professional designer because their their shops are like destinations. You want to be there. You walk in, it's not like it's not junked out. It's like they've taken care to paint the walls in these really interesting, you know, patterns and whatnot. And there's a beautiful plants everywhere. And the pictures are freaking gorgeous. I can't say more about it. Um but if you do go over there to uh, one of their three locations in Spokane, Spokane Valley, and Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, uh, please tell them that the Bitcoin and podcast sent you there. Now, Swan has made an announcement. That's right, Swan, Swan Bitcoin. Eh, you know, it's like they've been in they've been in the rough for a little while because of, you know, various custodians that they've had are not actually the best custodians in the world. And, you know, Corey's had some, you know, issues with some people on Twitter and just getting into fights and stuff like that. But Swan Bitcoin remains fundamentally a good Bitcoin company. All right. So they've made an announcement. Swan Mining is here. We've been working hard on a big opportunity that came our way last year. And today, we're excited to bring you our mining operation out of stealth mode. We're mining around 4.5 exahashes, which is closing in on 1% of the network, with equipment on hand to ramp quickly up to 8 exahashes. Find details in the press release below. 
Our core financial service business is healthy and growing. We're building a comprehensive Bitcoin company. Having skin in the game by contributing to securing the Bitcoin network is part of that effort. Swan is proud to be hashing. Of all the things in the world that I would have never expected Swan Bitcoin to get into, mining. I would have never expected them to get into mining. It just seems, it seems out of, it seems out of band for Swan Bitcoin uh, to, to get into mining. But I, I guess maybe they, maybe they went to an, maybe Corey went to an auction and found a whole bunch of old mining machines and, you know, bid on them by the pound or something. Who knows how the hell he got these things. I won't go through the entire press release uh, to find out right now because we've got other fish to fry and that fish has a name. What's the name? Craig Wright. That's right. Right. Craig Wright. Yeah, he's coming to the end of his of his uh tyrannical tirade. Okay? So we'll let's just start this one with Nick Hoffman out of Bitcoin magazine. Craig Wright offers a settlement to Copa, C O P A in a legal confrontation over Bitcoin. Today, Craig S. Wright, who claims to be Satoshi Nakamoto despite providing no evidence, has issued a settlement offer to members of the Crypto Open Patent Alliance, a.k.a. COPA, and all other parties involved. The letter, published on Wright's personal blog, outlines the terms of the proposed settlement. The letter... (laughs) From Dr. Wright, oh God, I shouldn't have said that. The letter from Craig Wright expresses a willingness to reach a settlement on multiple cases of prolonged legal confrontations that he instigated. The proposal settlements offers to waive rights, database rights, and copyrights relating to BTC, Bitcoin Cash, and ABC databases, and, quote, to offer an irrevocable license in perpetuity to my opposing parties who collectively control, operate, and or own those databases. Talk about capitulation. It is important to note that Bitcoin is a decentralized and distributed ledger, meaning no one individual or organization owns or controls the network. Quote, obviously, if he's not Satoshi, which is Copa's case, then the database rights and copyrights are not his to grant licenses to, reportedly said WizSec Bitcoin Research. Quote, Calvin and Craig, you talk about Calvin Air and Craig Wright, probably think that they're playing 5D chess by building this offer, quote unquote, on such an obvious false premise. As part, or a part of Wright's terms, is that Copa must not create, copy, or fork Bitcoin. It is important to note that Craig Wright's Bitcoin Satoshi vision is a fork of Bitcoin Cash, which is in turn a fork of the first and original cryptocurrency Bitcoin. Wright also wrote verbiage in his offer that attempts to continue his stance as self-proclaiming himself as Satoshi Nakamoto, demanding in his offer that entities shall cease claiming that they represent Bitcoin and must publicly acknowledge what he believes Bitcoin was created for. And here's the two paragraphs for that verbiage. This is probably written by ChatGPT, but whatever. Quote, whether in their own capacity or by any affiliates, associates, employees, or otherwise, 
opposition and I shall not exploit and be prevented from exploiting any BTC, BCH, ABC, or BSV database to create, copy, fork, or otherwise a new Bitcoin database. And opposition and I shall use best endeavors to ensure that no third party carries out the aforesaid. It is intended that these terms are not circumnavigated by the creation of any new Bitcoin database. (laughs) No one's allowed to fork Bitcoin, apparently. (laughs) Uh, Whatever. Any entities shall cease claiming that they represent the original Bitcoin as envisioned by me as Satoshi Nakamoto. Additionally, they must publicly acknowledge that the intended purpose for creating Bitcoin was to create a system to provide micropayments to allow for the chronologically ordered validation and transactions uh, and to facilitate scalability, end quote. All right, that's what he wrote into this thing. So he's saying that no one is allowed to fork Bitcoin. Good luck. While it may seem to those that are not up to date on these trials that Wright's offer is reasonable, many Bitcoiners in the community who have been involved in reporting on these cases think Wright is just doing this to keep on scamming with the Satoshi moniker and avoid jail time for his 500 plus self-made forgeries. That's right. He's forged over 500 documents and submitted them to various courts of law in the United States and Europe. Just think about that. 500 plus forgeries submitted as evidence to legal entities in both the United States and Europe. I wouldn't be able to do that and not sit in jail for a very long time because of it. Whatever. Quote, Been following COPA, right case pending in the UK, and I have to say, in 35 plus years of litigating, I've never seen anything in 35 years like the level of document falsification in a lawsuit by a party, said J. Nicholas Gross of Berkeley IP Law Mastery. Quote, at this point, I don't understand how Craig Wright's lawyers can continue to represent a party they can clearly see is committing fraud on the court right in plain sight and now with their complicity, end quote, COPA has responded with a hard pass on Wright's offer as it, quote, would force us to accept that he is Satoshi. Furthermore, in their response, COPA introduced new forensic evidence to prove the inauthenticity of several documents that Craig Wright considers crucial to his claim that he is the creator of Bitcoin. And here's the verbiage for that one. The Bitcoin white paper was originally published on October the 31st, 2008. Wright claims he wrote the Bitcoin white paper using latex word processing software. Examination of the metadata by both parties' experts led them to conclude and agree that contrary to Wright's assertion, the white paper was written and produced in open office, not latex. Even if the white paper had been written in latex, and even Wright's own expert agrees that it was not, the file that Wright relies on could not have been produced by that software until after 2009, after the Bitcoin white paper was originally published. In light of Wright's assertion that he created these files and has been in sole possession of these files since they were created, suggesting that he is responsible for, or at least aware of, their inauthenticity. Also, Wright presented a file that he said was a time capsule 
captured from his computer in October of 2007 containing various pieces of evidence that he said supported his claims. However, experts found proof that the, quote, time capsule was subsequently edited in September of 2023. That's just last year's last year, folks, to add, modify, and delete relevant files. These modifications were done with the computer clock set back to the 31st of October 2007 in order to backdate the most obvious resulting digital artifacts. Wright did not account for all digital artifacts, however, and many traces remained. In reality, the additions to the time capsule were made over the course of September the 17th through the 19th of 2023. The usernames CSW and Craig S. Wright were recovered from deleted files connected to these changes. In addition, in addition to these, a chat GPT forgery by Craig Wright was also found where a deleted file was recovered and suggests the fabricated evidence brought by Wright was created using chat GPT. A list of 20 forgeries that the court allowed COPA to present can be found here, and they give a link. COPA has stated the oral openings in the trial will indeed begin this upcoming February 5th. All right. So, Craig offered quote-unquote, offered them a way out. That's not what's actually going on. First of all, the offer is ridiculous because it's like th- there's a lot more to that offer that that is not in this piece by Nick Hoffman and Bitcoin Magazine. It's ridiculous from beginning to end, this quote-unquote settlement. And nobody's going to accept this shit. He's going to be forced to go to trial. This is where everything, and, and honestly, I think a good argument could be made that everything changed for Craig Wright and what he thought was going to happen, welcome to law. That probably changed a while back, but I think today represents a good solid day that everybody can point to, look at and say, this is the day that everything went south finally for Craig Wright. After all this time, After watching him commit fraud on so many courts in at least two different countries without getting, I mean, he, I'm still slack. I'm a slack jawed yokel when it comes to my response of all these judges, not immediately, immediately telling Craig that he is either found in contempt of court right there or he will be found in contempt of court on several counts after all this shit is done. But judges from the UK to European Union to the United States have said absolutely nothing other than you're a bad person. You shouldn't have done this. If I had done this or if you had done this, it would have been contempt of court. I'm sorry, you cannot submit falsified evidence to a court of law and expect to walk away scot-free. He's submitted over 500 pieces of falsified evidence to at least two court systems. He's not going to walk away from this. And I I mean, if I'm wrong, 
then I'm going to go find a cave in the woods and I'm going to go live in it because I don't want to live in a world where if you if you have this thing called the rule of law, but you allow this one guy to be able to submit that much falsified evidence and walk away from it, I don't want to have any part of this shit. Not, no part of it at all. And of course, there will be a lot of Bitcoiners that saying, we don't even need the court system. I, I mean, I get where they're coming from, but we don't live there. We, we just don't. We live with courts. We live with lawyers. We live with law. And how come I can't go to a United States court, build a bullshit case, throw in a whole bunch of falsified evidence to make my case, get caught red-handed, and just say, I'm sorry, and then just be able to go on with my life? No. Well, there's also other good news when it comes to Craig Wright. And it comes from Peter McCormick of the What Bitcoin Did podcast. And he put out a tweet earlier today uh, that says, My lawyers have just confirmed that Craig Wright has had his final appeal denied by the Supreme Court. It is over. I won. Welcome to law, motherfucker. This is the UK trial. I'm pretty sure this is all going down in the UK. I don't, I don't see why Craig or Craig Wright and Peter McCormick would be arguing in a U.S. court because Peter's not part of the U.S. But I'm so I'm pretty sure it's UK. It doesn't really matter. This was the last hurrah for Peter McCormick and his long-standing five-year-old case that was brought against him by Craig Wright. It is now over. Finally. Now, Peter McCormick goes on to say the following. Permission to appeal was refused by three Supreme Court justices, Lord Briggs, Lady Rose, and Lord Richards, on grounds the appeal did not raise an arguable question of law. This is the end of the line for Wright's substantive claim against me. Five years of hell over a small amount of hell to deal with on cost still, but we did it. I have so many people to thank. My lawyers, my brother, Hoddle and Ott, otherwise known as Space Cat. All the people who reached out with support, the people who helped me with some of the costs, and you know who you are. Now we turn to our brothers, Hoddle and Ott and Cobra Bitcoin, and the business and developers that are still under attack. No mercy. Let's finish them. Yeah, Craig Wright needs to be buried. And Calvin Ayer needs to be buried. But who else helped facilitate this entire thing? Antia LLP, Limited Liability Partnership. That's a law firm that has brought all of this pain and suffering to Hodlinot, to uh, Peter McCormick, to Cobra Bitcoin. It's all Antia LLP. Now, five years ago, let me see if I can pull up uh, Hodlinot's uh, last thing that he said. Um... I'm looking at this. Hold on. Let me just read you this one. Hoddle and Not at Hoddle and Not on Twitter says, uh, March 29th, 2019. I received a letter of claim from CSW via his lawyers in SCA Antia. They gave me seven days to agree to remove my tweets, apologize, and confirm in court that I believe CSW is in fact Satoshi. I remember exactly where I was. A couple, the, there was it was a couple of days later when Hoddle and Ott, and because I was still on Twitter at the time, 
me and Hollow the Knot were talking. And then Hollow the Knot gives me a DM and he says, hey, man, can we talk over signal? And I was like, yeah, sure, man. I was like going, this is, you know, kind of kind of weird, but yeah, sure. And he sends me this letter and he asked me the question. He's like, do you think this is real? And I'm like, I look at it and I read the verbiage of it and I just can't, I can't believe it. And then I'm looking at SEA Antia LLP and it looks like a shell company. I mean, it was like, it was brand new. It's like, and it's like domiciled somewhere. I think it's domiciled in, I, I can't remember exactly where, but I don't think it's domiciled in anywhere in the UK or the European Union. Although they have offices in the UK, they're not, I don't think they're domiciled there. That's one of the reasons why I got, when I got back to Huddle and I said, I don't think this is real. I think somebody's just messing with your head. Turns out I was as wrong as wrong would ever get. And ever since that day, I've kind of felt bad. Not that there would have been anything, like if, even if I had said, yes, it's it's true and you should watch out, Huddle and Not was still going to be in the same flaming bag of cat shit that he finds himself in now because his case, that shit's still pending. It's been four years, six months, and four days. <laughs> this was back, he wrote this back in, on October the 2nd, uh, 2023. He says, it's been four years, six months, and four days. Since Craig Wright started attacking me, giving me no outs other than stating publicly and in court that I accept he is Satoshi. I refused and they followed up by putting a bounty on my identity. $5,000 to the person who could correctly, with evidence, basically tell the world with pictures exactly who Hoddle and Not was and they did. They doxed him ferociously, publicly. And without mercy. And Antia is just as responsible as Craig Wright and Calvin Ayer. Now, here's my thought. This is my gut feeling that I've always had ever since this shit began. Calvin Ayer, with his ass load of money that he got by taking money from people on his online gambling sites. That's right. He's a vice lord. He, he preyed upon the, the, the people that least could afford to lose their money in gambling. And he made, it, he made websites that it was so easy to put your money into and play digital fucking gaming and lose your money. And he took it all and made hundreds of millions of dollars. He bankrolled. This is my thought because I see no evidence to the contrary. He built SCA Antia LLP for the purpose of suing everybody under the sun that had anything to do with Bitcoin. And Craig Wright is the poster child of that entire law firm. And they have no other reason for existence. I'd like to see their full client list because I'll bet you they got two, Calvin Ayer and Craig Wright. Every single one of them should be disbarred or at least whatever the equivalent is Wherever it is that they can serve as officers of the court, that license in all countries for SCA Antia LLP needs to be pulled and all of them need to be fined. This is beyond the pale, but thank God, at least for Peter McCormick, at least his ordeal is over. All right, so that's the CSW stuff. I'm sure there will be more. On to Bitcoin ATM flaw that could have given hackers total control.
Cointelegraph, Ezra Reguera, Bitcoin ATM provider, Lamasu Industries fixed a vulnerability in its Bitcoin ATM machines after a team of ethical hackers took full control of the devices, highlighting some of its flaws. In 2023, security researchers from IO Active attempted to hijack several ATMs issued by the company as they worked to access the machines. The research team identified several vulnerabilities that they managed to exploit to gain access to the ATMs. The chief technology officer, Gunter Ullman, told Cointelegraph that throughout the exploit, attackers could, quote, view and manipulate interactions with the hijacked ATM, end quote. The security professional explained that hackers could steal BTC from the user's wallet through the ATM using those vulnerabilities. Quote, a sophisticated attacker with sufficient preparation could modify or replace the entire user experience of the ATM and socially engineer the user into performing additional actions, end quote. The, attack, the executive said that the attacker could also trick the user into entering their bank account details, luring them with offers such as free or discounted Bitcoin. However, Ullman also assured the community that the effect would be limited to the user's account balance. Now, there's more to the story, but we don't really need to go there because that this is the, the issue at hand. The ATM, no matter what company is putting it in, a Bitcoin ATM, and honestly, a bank ATM too, but let's just stay with Bitcoin ATMs. That is, a, that is basically a middleman, right? You think you're typing in and doing all the things that it takes to do what it is that you want to do on a Bitcoin ATM. But in reality, if a hacker was able to get a hold of the user interface, you're not actually interacting with the endpoint you thought you were interacting with. Now, because of that, I'm just, the reason I bring you this entire thing is we have this tendency to forget about these things. And why, you know, people that use a Bitcoin ATMs should be very vigilant as to, am I sure? Am I sure? that this is actually going to do what I want it to do and it's not going to, you know, drain my wallet or at least take the money that I put in and I think I'm sending it to my own wallet, but I'm actually sending it to somebody else's wallet. Understand we're, we're nowhere close to out of the woods when it comes to this hacking crap. It's all over the place and it's going to remain that way for quite a while. Okay, you've probably heard some stories, you know, on Noster and other social media about Bitwise. And it's one of the ETFs, one of the new spot Bitcoin ETFs. And Bitwise itself is the only what is one of the only two companies that are actually supporting through donations from their profits on their spot Bitcoin ETF, Bitcoin development. Right? But something interesting has occurred. And if you Wondering what the hell's going on with 69, 69 Satoshis being sent to Bitwise. I got the skinny for you here from Bitcoin Magazine written by Nick Hoffman. Bitwise, a leading cryptocurrency asset management firm, has set a new precedent by becoming the first United States spot Bitcoin exchange traded fund to publicly disclose its Bitcoin address holdings. <laughs> Quote, now anyone can verify Bitwise's holdings and flows directly on the blockchain, the asset manager stated, quote, 
On-chain transparency is core to Bitcoin ethos. We're proud to walk the walk with BITB, end quote, in a move that aligns with the growing demand for openness and accountability in the industry. Bitwise is providing investors and the public with real-time access to the Bitcoin addresses associated with its ETF holdings. This disclosure enhances transparency and attempts to foster trust, addressing concerns related to the verification of assets backing and the allocations within the ETF. Quote, Publishing on-chain addresses is a first step towards increasing public transparency, Bitwise continued. As infrastructure evolves, we hope to do more, such as working with firms like Hoseki Hoseki App to provide real-time cryptographic attestations. The decision to publish BTC address holdings helps position Bitwise at the forefront of regulatory compliance and investor communication. By voluntarily sharing this information, Bitwise demonstrates a commitment to setting an industry standard and building credibility for Bitcoin investment products. Earlier this month, the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, officially approved the listing of the first ever spot Bitcoin ETFs. Since the launch, the ETFs have seen billions of dollars in demand and have become the second largest ETF commodity in the country. Okay. So how does this deal with the 6969? Well, that story doesn't directly do it, but it does set us up to be able to talk about the fact that some weirdness is going on with Bitwise. And I don't mean fraudulent weirdness. I don't mean negative weirdness. I just mean kind of almost meme-worthy weirdness is going on with the Bitwise ETF. They're the only ones that have publicly published the Bitcoin addresses associated with the ETF. That's the context. Well, what what happens when you publish your Bitcoin address? Sometimes people will actually send you Bitcoin and that's what's actually going on with Bitwise. Now check this one out. This comes out of Guy Swan's Twitter account and it says, and it continues. How many sats do you think will get sent to this purely for the lulls. <laughs> I'm going to throw this up for the guys over at Zapstream. Hey, Sparius, good to see you here. Anon, I like you too, buddy. <laughs> 69, dude, 69. I hear you. I hear you. Okay, so here's the thing for the guys over at Zap.stream. They can see what's going on here. What it shows is the Bitcoin address of BITB, otherwise known as the Bitwise spot Bitcoin ETF. This is the address where the Bitcoin is actually held. This is from mempool.space. So we're actually looking at a picture, but we see that there's quite a few transactions made on this. People are literally sending Satoshis, like small amounts. They're even paying the fee. They're, They're paying more in fees than they are what they're sending to the Bitwise ETF. But here's what's funny is that the second, and this this is, uh, Guy Swan is, is quoting another tweet from Alexander Leishman, who says, somebody just sent 6,969 sats to the Bitwise ETF. It is now the only over-collateralized ETF. What does that mean? Because these people are actually sending Satoshis as a joke, that they'll never get back, by the way, to the Bitwise ETF 
Holdings Bitcoin address. There's more Bitcoin in the address than what they have, for lack of a better term, listed on their books so that their clients understand how much Bitcoin they actually have. You see, if there's 100 customers and they for Bitwise and they all buy one Bitcoin worth of the ETF, then there should be 100 Bitcoin in that ETF. But because Bitwise published their address and people are sending Bitcoin directly to it, let's, let's just for ease of calculation say that now the Bitwise Trust holds 101 Bitcoin, which means they have one Bitcoin more than they need to have to fully collateralize the actual fund. So out of all 11 spot Bitcoin ETFs, Bitwise can claim that they're the only one that is actually over collateralized, which puts them financially in a better position than all the rest of them put together. Not in Bitcoin terms, but at least in they've they can basically say we've gone beyond the pale. We have more Bitcoin. If somebody wants to liquidate the whole fund, we've actually got more Bitcoin in it and we can liquidate 100% of the fund immediately without delay, and still have Bitcoin left over. So all the 100, 100 clients that have one Bitcoin, they can get that Bitcoin back. And they and, and Bitwise still has more. Now, we I understand that we just don't like, we really just don't like the Bitcoin spot ETFs. And I get it. I, I, I totally do. But if for whatever reason, like, I go back to working for Normieville and all of a sudden I'm sitting down with HR at some university or whatever and they're asking me about what kind of 401k stuff. I'm definitely going to say, I, I yeah, I'll take your 401k, but I need you to be buying a Bitcoin spot ETF. So what, what package do you have that does that? And they may say no, but let's say they say yes. And I have the option to use Bitwise versus BlackRock. I'm going to put my money into the Bitwise one for two reasons. One, first and foremost, for 10 years, they're giving 10% of their profits that they make off of this vehicle to OpenSats. As far as I know, it's either, it, I'm pretty sure it's to OpenSats. All right, so that's going to fund Bitcoin develop it, development at the core level. They're going to help people only work on Bitcoin. For 10 years, it's a full tithe. And then there's another one, and I can't remember who it is, that's doing 5%, uh, but it's not going to open sats. So if I were to find myself in a position in Normieville where I could only you know, buy Bitcoin through an ETF, I would absolutely fight tooth and nail to buy the Bitwise one. And I know this is probably going to fall on a bunch of ears that say, oh my God, I can't believe you're even considering it. I will consider giving money to anybody that supports Bitcoin development. I don't care how what that vehicle looks like. I just don't care. But I find it hilarious that people are actually sending their Satoshis to this thing and they're not actually part of the ETF. And here's what, here's what I conclude will happen. Bitwise at one point or another will probably come out with a statement and they'll probably have and they will have to clear this with SEC 
that they're going to donate any extra Bitcoin they have in their fund directly to OpenSats to support Bitcoin development, to clear it out of their books so they end up with a basically a, a, what would be known as a zero balance. I cannot wait for that statement. And I hope it is meme-worthy AF. All right, so if you got to support, you know, if you find yourself in, in a situation where you've somehow or another, you can choose, you know, you're in Normieville and you only, you, you, somebody's saying your 401k can invest in Bitcoin, but no, we're not going to give you the cash. So if you got to find yourself in a, a situation to do that, please, please consider the Bitwise ETF simply because they're supporting Bitcoin and the whole thing may turn into the greatest meme ever. I don't know. Um, but here's another thing about Bitwise before we get off on that. Prashant Jha has this one from Cointelegraph. And this headline reads, Bitwise Bitcoin ETF wallet attracts inscriptions and rare sat donations. Ah, it gets even better. Asset management firm Bitwise made the Bitcoin address of its spot Bitcoin ETF exchange uh, or uh, exchange traded fund public on January the 24th, becoming the first of the 10 spot Bitcoin ETF issuers to do so. The wallet address currently holds inscriptions donated worth $6,000 and holds a total of over 16,000 inscriptions. These inscriptions include two RSIC airdrops, one Bitcoin punk, one Bitcoin burial, one quad key, and several others. The account also holds thousands, thousands of BRC20 inscriptions. However, there are no valid active BRC20 balances in the account. Ordinals create Bitcoin-based non-fungible tokens by inscribing data such as images. Yeah, 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 we know. The popularity of ordinals and inscriptions created two sides where, on the one hand, the pro-ordinals community believes it makes Bitcoin network more fungible and versatile, while the other side believes ordinal inscriptions take up extra block space and congested network. And I personally am going to add, we just think that they're permanently stupid. But be that as it may, while most of the crypto community lauded Bitwise move to make the holdings address public, a few pointed out that the single 12,000 BTC transfer suggesting the asset manager didn't send any test transactions to verify the address first. Yeah, I, I think I get the feeling that they're professionals, guys, and they don't really need to do that shit. The address is the address. You, I mean, honestly, think about it this way. I have the address. That is the address. I can totally figure out a way without sending Bitcoin to that address to wipe the wallet, reinstall the wallet, just given the seed phrases. If I do that 10 times and I come up with the same wallet address every time, the only thing I got to do is make sure that I don't have a letter mismatched on my sending transaction wallet address. All right, so y'all calm down, honestly. Others questioned the asset manager for using a single key wallet instead of a multi-sig uh, one, which is considered more secure. M a multi-sig wallet works like a bank safe deposit box that requires multiple private keys to be used simultaneously to open it. Yeah, we get it. But Cointelegraph reached out to Bitwise to inquire over the company's plan to support ordinals and use single key over multi-sig wallet, but didn't uh, respond at publication time. And honestly, they're probably not going to because it's just at this point, they're probably sitting in their offices laughing their asses off 
because they're getting ordinals, inscriptions, quote unquote, rare sats, but just general Bitcoin donations for people that are just memeing the shit out of this thing. And we can say what we want about ordinals and inscriptions. I get it. I think they're stupid, but it's funny. Come on, man. We got to find some humor in something. And honestly, that shit is funny. <laughs> uh, there is, uh, I'm not going to get into this one very, uh, very much, but Bitcoin um, is showing, a, was showing a little bit of a bounce because the grayscale outflows have kind of slowed down, but they sent some more Bitcoin to their Coinbase account today. So this now no longer applies. So I'm not going to do that, but we are going to run the numbers. CNBC, futures and commodities. I got oil is up over two points today. Maybe the Houthis hit something that they really did want to hit. I don't know. Anyway, $76.63 per barrel. Brent North Sea is back over 80 with a two-point rise to $81.65. Natural gas is down scant. Gasoline is up one and a third to $2.23. Gold is down scant. Silver is down a tenth of a point. Platinum is down 2.21%. Copper is down a half. And palladium falling through the floor, 3.15%. Ag is fully mixed today. The biggest winner today, lumber, 0.88% to the upside. Biggest loser is uh, chocolate fell, 3.5 points. Live cattle, however, is up 0.87%. Lean hogs up a quarter. Feeder cattle are up one and a third. <clears throat> the Dow is up eh, kind of scant. People are waiting on word from what the hell the Fed's going to do. And GDP numbers are supposed to come out today at some point or another. I don't know if they've come out yet or not. It looks to me like everybody's in a holding pattern. So uh, I don't think they've come out yet. S&P is up a quarter. NASDAQ is up two fifths of a point, And the S&P is up a quarter of a point. Bond yields have all dropped except for the one and two month. We got 10 year at uh, yielding 4.132%, 20 year 4.483%, and the 30 year 4.38%. The dollar index has risen yet again. Yay for the dollar. 103.52 uh, after a quarter percent rise in the ICE US dollar index. Cost of Bitcoin is uh, $39,715.25. Uh, average transaction values are damn near one and a half Bitcoin. Median transaction value, $88. Block times are very low today. Interesting. Eight minutes and 30 seconds. I got uh, a third of a Bitcoin as a reward of or fees on a per block basis and 62 and a half for total fees overall in the last 24 hours. And the 9.14% increase in hash rate brings us to 571 and a half exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator, as always, is Dogecoin, 7.8 United States pennies. So riding the coattails of Bitcoin. All right. This is also going to be news later on today. We're going to talk about the uh, new Clark Moody dashboard. I've put it up on the screen for the people in zap.stream. So this particular section of the market report is going to be funky because I have not reset 
this is a, a new dashboard, which I'll get into later. Uh, but I haven't been able to really reset what it is that I talk about because I'm able to actually kind of customize Clark Moody's dashboard. But we'll give you the market cap at being $782 billion or seven, actually just flipped up $782.9 billion. It looks like there is 19,608,199 and a quarter BTC in supply. Um, let's see. Doo, doo, doo. What else is going on? All my shit's messed up. Mining. Uh, good Lord. Havings. Mempool. Where's. What the hell? Where's my uh, lightning stuff? Uh, I, man, this is, we're going to have to, I'm going to have to rework this thing pretty good, honestly. But I'll tell you this, this new uh, dashboard looks killer. It looks so killer, except for the fact that he's including inscription file types. But I, I'm not really going to, I'm not going to give him any, any grief over that. Um, all right. So that's pretty much that's what I'm going to do for the dashboard today. We'll worry about the rest of it later. Uh, mempool, 26 Satoshis per V-byte. So if you're going to consolidate, do it now. There are 492 blocks carrying a measly 232,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear. Low priorities are going for eh, 25 Satoshis per V-byte. Anything under 20.7 Satoshis per V-byte is being purged from mempools around the world. It looks at that. The hash rate for mempool.space is flashing 590 exahashes per second. So that does wash. Now, uh, the I've only got two boostograms from yesterday's show. O2ZX with 500 sat says, thanking you for the historical perspective about clowns, fools, and jesters piqued my interest. No problem, man. I appreciate that. Uh, God's death with 370 says, congrats on the top 10 again. And uh, thank you, sir. No, thank you. Actually, he says, uh, I think it's a typo, but it's like, it says the K you, sir. So I'll just say thank you. Anyway, um, no longer top 10. I think today I'm actually in the 16th. I'm number 16. Just saying. So if you want to help grow the show, and I want help growing the show, a five-star review on Apple Podcast. I've already got like 40 of them. And I'm kind of surprised that I don't have more listeners than I do because 40 five-star reviews is actually pretty good. And somehow or another, I think we're just, maybe we're just in the depths of crypto or not crypto podcast winter. I I don't know, but if I can get your help to spread the show, tell your friends about it, send it out across your various social medias. You know, I I don't know, like spread links. I mean, I've got my link tree up on my Noster account and I should have it up on my Twitter account today. Oh, I guess I should actually tell y'all the, that Twitter account. Hold on. Because I, I spun one up back on Twitter, they haven't taken me down yet, so I guess I can at least, I, I guess I can at least uh, say that I'm safe for now. But I've spun one up for the Bitcoin and podcast. I'll change the handle because I've got like a, a basically a, an anon handle right now, but it's at David B eight four five six seven. Jesus, 84567. That's David B, 84567 if you want to get a hold of me 
over there on Twitter, and I'm never going to call it X because I just think the whole thing is freaking stupid. But I just don't like leaving money and the ability to get a reach on the table. And if you can help me spread the show, I would really appreciate that. That's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Shout out to my friend Hoddlebod, creator of Coracle. I met with him yesterday. We talked for two, well over two hours, damn near two and a half hours. Um, had a couple of beers apiece, and he was recording the, the entire conversation, but we were at a bar. Uh, it was kind of noisy. He told me a little bit earlier today that the audio from that recording is really iffy. And he's going to try to get his producer to uh, clean it up. I, given what I know about audio recording and how far the microwave was and, and the ambient noise, I would not look look for that episode of Thank God for Noster to come out, which is okay. I mean, I had a wonderful time talking to Hollabaugh. We talked about all kinds of stuff and we'll do it again. Um, in fact, or later today after the show, I'm going to go down to uh, my local bar and see if I can't find a quiet spot uh, during lunchtime so that maybe Hoddlebot will be able to run all the way over to where I'm at and um, we can have a quieter spot. But we talked about Bitcoin, Noster, the universe, universal intelligence, fractal patterns, uh, development. I mean, all we talked about everything under the sun. Um, you, again, he's the developer of, of, uh, Coracle, uh, dot social. It's a Nostra client. So we're all about Bitcoin and, and Nostra when we get together, he's a great guy. Um, and he deserves your support. So if you want to support him, go use Coracle dot social. It's a good web app for getting into the Nostra universe. Now on with the news, Bitcoin ETF inflows in context. Uh, yeah. This is written by Ansel Linder, old school Bitcoiner. One of the very first guys I started listening to when he was still part of the Bitcoin group. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I don't have time to explain it, but it was one of the earliest podcasts about Bitcoin with people that I came to really trust and respect. And Ansel is one of them, and he's writing this one for Bitcoin Magazine. The Bitcoin Spot ETF launch was one for the history books. By all accounts, it was the largest launch of an ETF product in history, beating out the previous record set by ProShares Bitcoin Strategy ETF launch in October of 2021. First day trading volume was huge at $4.6 billion and it has remained relatively strong compared to typical post-launch declines of other products. We can be confident in the volume numbers, unlike the inflows. After the first two days of trading, the market was left wondering about flows because the data provided by traditional finance was delayed and incomplete. Experts such as Eric Balchunas of Bloomberg said it was normal to have delays in reporting of flows by as much as three days after launch or three days after the day that you get the data, the three, three days after that is when you actually can see the data, at least as the public can see the data. And Bitcoin isn't used to such terrible transparency. 
In the table below, you can see the GBTC outflows are now over $2 billion, with the largest day being day number three. However, it is highly probable that most of day three's flows was due to trading on day two, and likewise for day two on day one, and so forth and so on. We also cannot tell if all the issuers are up to date on their data. Is that all their flows or are they just not done counting? We simply don't know. Bitcoiners are supplementing slow traditional finance data, which can take days by tracking flows on chain. On Wednesday, James Van Stratton of CryptoSlate reported that 18,400 Bitcoin were sent from Grayscale to Coinbase's Prime OTC desk right at market open, following a pattern of outflows on the two previous trading days of 9,000 Bitcoin on Jan 16 and 4,000 on Jan 12. The on-chain data from intelligence firm Arkham is trustworthy. The problem is it doesn't match the reported outflows. Those three days of on-chain data add up to $1.3 billion worth of Bitcoin and the reported outflows were only $1.1 billion. Also, interestingly, there were no transactions in the morning on January the 18th, but they resumed this morning. Coinbase also, or Coinbase already custodies Grayscale Bitcoin, so these are transfers from their custody account at the OTC desk where other ETF market makers can pick it up, limiting the effect of the spot price. Grayscale selling was expected, but we still don't know the ultimate amount that will end up being sold by the time all the dust settles. Will 100% of their coins slowly come out or perhaps only 10%? People are speculating the expense ratio of 1.5% versus the other ETFs averaging 0.25% might cause people to swap ETFs. If that's the case, it would not translate into any net selling. GBTC did lower their fees when they converted from 2% down to the new 1.5%. If GBTC holders are sitting on significant unrealized gains, they might choose not to sell until the next rally. Remember, there are tax implications with swapping also. Many early sellers of GBTC are doing so for ideological reasons. The discount, which formed in February of 2021, took them by surprise and they felt stuck. The question is, how many Bitcoin is that? GBTC still has over 550,000 Bitcoin as of January the 19th. How many of those still feel stuck? Why wouldn't they have already swapped out in the first several days of trading? I think it is less than people think. Yes, all of the Bitcoin will come out eventually if they keep the expense ratio that high, but not in one sustained movement. I think that dumping will be spread out over several large rallies in the bull market. Selling from GBTC might already be slowing with the discount to NAV dropping from 150 basis points on day one to 47 basis points on January the 17th. And speaking of price, Bitcoin has managed to hold support at around $40,000, even with the massive outflows from GBTC and whale selling. Again, James Van Stratton reports a whale who bought at 48,000 in January or in 2021's bull market, who held through the massive downturn in the FTX debacle, possibly unloaded 100,000 Bitcoin with an ask of 49,000. For context, all the ETFs XGBTC are still below that at 79,000 BTC. This was not a sell the news event. 
It could have simply been a whale selling after breaking even. Meanwhile, the consistent buying pressure of the ETFs is only delayed by a week or so. We are still in the range, dating all the way back to the beginning of December, but are threatening to fall below it right now. My attention remains on 40000 and the $44,193 line that we've been watching that whole time created from the high daily close back on December the 8th. For those readers with beautiful low time preference, the monthly Ichikamoto cloud is flipping bullish. This is an extremely bullish signal that only happens at the beginning of bull runs in Bitcoin. It occurred last October 2020, after almost flipping prior to COVID in February of 2020. Interestingly, if it would have flipped in February, it would be at very nearly the same relation to the halving that we are today. Prior to 2020, the only time this has occurred was in June of 2016, at the beginning of that particular massive bull market and one month prior to the July 2016 halving. Using the incomplete inflow data above, and they give a graph, we can say that the average daily buying pressure, including GBTC selling, has been more than $200 million per day. Interesting that day four was the second highest, adding some evidence to the theory that buying pressure might level out at around 250 to $300 million mark. To put that amount in context, MicroStrategy just began a four-month process of selling $216 million worth of new shares just to buy more Bitcoin. The ETFs do that in a day. Tether is also constantly buying Bitcoin for their reserves, and recently they reported adding another $380 million in Bitcoin at the end of 2023. Two out of the first five days of the ETFs were more than that. Okay, so that gives a little bit of context, and Ansel is more of a technical analysis or analyst than I will ever be. And because honestly, I, I just, I don't do TA. And it's not that I, I say it doesn't work as much as I just don't care that much about it. Although it does have a tendency to, it piques my interest sometimes. And somebody like Ansel is one of the only guys that I will actually trust to listen to when it comes to TA. But with all that said, I find that I keep asking myself this question. With the clear indication to the guys over at Grayscale that people are fleeing that fund because they're charging 1.5% in management fees and everybody else has not even come close to charging that kind of shit, why don't they lower their prices? I don't, now I'm not sure of the rule on that. I don't think that that is, at this point, I don't think that that is an SEC issue. Whereas that they would have to file a rule change with the SEC to make an adjustment on their fund. Maybe they do. I don't know. But even if they did, why haven't they done that? Do you want to lose your clients? At this point, it's very clear why you're losing clients. Any manager or CEO or chief operating officer, for that matter, would be remiss in at least trying to figure out how to retain your clientele. And if it is as easy as saying, well, we're going to have to match the price. Some, and, and the reason that they're not, I wish I could tell you what that reason was. But something's going on. 
if they could, they would have done it. So the question becomes, what is causing them not to be able to drop down from that 1.5% price? Something is operating in the background that if they do that, something bad is going to happen. Somebody suggested to me a few days ago that maybe they've got loans out. Maybe it has something to do with the connection to the fact that they owe, I don't know, a billion dollars to investors. I don't know. I just don't. But it seems clear that it is very clear to the management of Grayscale that they are losing their customers because of their management fee. No other reason than that. One of these days, we're going to find out what the hell happens with Grayscale, but it is the last albatross that needs to be shot out of the sky so that we can move on with all of our lives. And speaking on, let's move on with that news about Clark Moody. I'm going to put the Clark Moody dashboard back up for the guys over in Zapstream while I talk about it. NoBSBitcoin.com brings you Clark Moody dashboard version 2.0 beta. You can sign in with Noster. It has themes and more. That's right. In preparation of the having this spring, I've rewritten the back end of the dashboard in Rust and re-implemented a good chunk of the data from the existing dashboard announced Clark Moody. Not tested on mobile yet. No Whirlpool stats yet. Lots of other stuff missing, but it's all coming soon, the developer mentioned on Noster. Sign in with Noster. To unlock a couple of new modules and choose a theme, the V2 version of the dashboard can be found at dashboard.clarkmoody.com. That's dashboard.clarkmoody.com. So there's um, here's here's a rundown of the of the new shit. The new shit. You can sign in with your Noster Inpub, right? So over here, I'm going to sign out. And let's see if it remembers. It probably remembers. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to demonstrate to the guys over at zap.stream that I was going to connect it with my Git Albi extension on my browser, but that is not, in fact, what's happening because re- I forgot that I set it to just remember. So now it's just automatically signing me in to dashboard.clarkmoody.com with my Noster inpub. And I can choose themes. Check this shit out, man. I mean, these are some really nice colors. So there's a standard dark default. There's the Clark Moody OG, which is the original theme that he had. That Like if you're not doing the new version two, I'm looking at what you're looking at. And then there's Rave, which is purple and pinkish kind of, electric pinkish kind of thing. There's Nord Dark, which is sort of a snowy, silvery looking kind of ice kind of thing. Uh, there's Groovebox, which is my favorite. High contrast, yet easy on the eyes. There's AU, meh. And then there's uh, Farah, which is a little bright for my a little bright for my taste. But you can go to dashboard.exe, which is really bright, Nord Light, and Stormtroop, and all those. I just hate them because they're not they're not night. And I really, really enjoy the the night one. Give me back to my groove box. All right. So if you have not Check that shit out. You need to go check that shit out today. Uh, Let's see. We don't need that one. Seed Hammer. Again, from NoBSBitcoin.com. Seed Hammer version 1.2.0. Seed first UI, engraved wallet titles, and more. This 
is a source code to run the controller programmer for the seed hammer engraving machine. It runs on the same hardware as the seed signer, Raspberry Pi Zero or Zero W, a WaveShare 3.1 inch 240 by 240 LCD hat and a Pi Zero compatible camera with an OV5647 sensor. Quote, we have officially released the version of Seed Hammer software. This one has many good updates and a rather big change in workflow in order to support highly anticipated feature requests. We hope you enjoy the update. So what's new? You can, uh, the, the invert user interface to Seed First release, uh, releases up to now have always required the descriptor first, the Seed second. This release inverts the interface flow to ask for the Seed first. You can engrave wallet titles. Quote, when scanning descriptors from compatible wallet software, the wallet title will be shown on the descriptor information and engraved on the plate. Maximum 18 characters. Uh, Let's see. Other changes are make error and warning messages full screen, support blue wallet vaults that include ZPUB keys, show error with an invalid seat, when an invalid seat is scanned, add support for foundation descriptors, Blah, blah, blah. There's some other things. The reason that I bring this to you is that this is this is interesting because it will engrave a steel plate with like a, you know, like a, a, a QR code and all the uh, the uh, words for your seed phrase by the number. And it's really pretty. It's really pretty. And it, like, I mean, it's, it's really great. My problem is, and I don't have a problem. I'm not going to say it that way. I have a concern and my concern is how do you know if you've, if you've given a computer interface that has memory on it, your seed phrase, by definition, this is a security issue. How do I know that that memory will not only be wiped, but completely unrecoverable? And I don't know enough about the seed hammer at all to know whether or not it's hooked up to the internet, please, for the love of God, I hope they didn't include Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, or an Ethernet port. If they've included any one of those, then I do have a problem because it is not secure. You do not want your seed phrase for your Bitcoin wallet being leaked over the internet, Bluetooth, or Wi-Fi. Please, please, please tell me they did not do that. I don't know because I have not actually seen one up close and personal. But even then, even then, ladies and gentlemen, at one point, you're taking your seed phrase and you're running it through digital memory on a unit that is physical, that can be picked up and pocketed. How do I know after I print my plate with my seed phrase that there's no way that seed phrase can be recovered from the digital memory that it had to have been held in when the job was being done. I, I'm not saying this is a bad product. Not at all. In fact, the pictures of this shit is, this is, this is great. I would love to actually do this. But man, honestly, I, I mean, how many wallets am I going to spin up? If you're a company doing it for somebody else, how do they know that you're not keeping the seed phrases? So there's, it's, for me, 
it's problematic, but God, I would love to actually be able to do this, man. It would be so cool. It was so, so very cool uh, to end the show off. Cause we are running long uh, Tesla's Bitcoin holdings. They've remained unchanged as of the last quarter of 2023. So uh shithead didn't sell any. Uh, and Trezor has warned of an unauthorized email impersonating Trezor that's sent via its third-party email provider. So somebody hacked the company that it, that Trezor is using for their third for their their for their email, and has fabricated emails in the name of Trezor to try to hack you. Again, I cannot reiterate enough. Even if you like Trezor. This this is one of the reasons why I like CoinKite. There's no interface other than me and the physical thing itself, right? Seed signers the same way. I, I All I have to do is interact with the thing. I don't have to have a web interface for it. I don't get emails from CoinKite. I don't have to worry about any of this crap. But Ledger and all the rest of those guys, their customers have to constantly freaking worry about it. So please consider not doing that. All right, that's going to do it for the Morning Roundup. All right, joke time from the very, very embarrassing book of dad jokes that my daughter bought me for my birthday. Let's see, where are we at? Okay, William Shakespeare went into a pub. The barman took one look at him and said, you're barred. God, that is a really shitty joke. First man says, I'm going to see the doctor because I don't like the look of my wife. Second man says, I'll come with you. I can't stand the sight of mine. Ah, these are really, some of these are terrible. Um, I once had a dog with no legs called Woodbine. Every day I took him out for a drag. None of these makes any sense. These are no good. They're no good. These jokes are no good. I'm going to have to get with my daughter on this and tell her how to scan for good, bad dad jokes. The son says, what are you getting mom for her birthday? Dad says, a new bag and belt. The Hoover hasn't been working very well lately. Okay, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. I cannot drag you guys through the mud with this bullshit any longer. All right, now... Um, there was something that Kid Warp said. Hold on. Uh, hold on. About this, uh, this, this seed hammer. Let's see. Um, let me see if I can find it again. I was right here. I'm looking in the, I'm looking in the uh, notes here. Uh, oh, uh, Kid Warp says, I think it's all done with SD cards, just like seed signers. Not sure though. Again though. I, I I don't want my seed phrase on any kind of memory. I want it on paper. And and I'm and again, please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that this is a bad product. I I like I said, I would like one myself. I would probably only use it. Well, I mean, it'd be great. To, I guess I could do like a whole bunch of multi sigs. But in either event, it's it. I would love to have it. I'm just saying. Like the the Bitcoin ATM machines and stuff, we got we got to be careful. We can't just go, oh look, I'll buy it and I'll use it because we don't live in that world anymore. 
Not when it comes to Bitcoin. Uh, back out in, in legacy fiat land, yeah, sure, right. Go ahead, go go buy the drill and just automatically plug it in and use it. You'll be fine. But the stuff that we use, the stuff that we use can get you really hurt if you just automatically assume everybody has nothing but the best intentions. So I'm just saying, be cautious, don't trust, verify, and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.